0: All right. Uh, if you didn't pick up your roadmap to the Book of Job, then there's still some back there. So if you need a chart to kind of go through it, you got it. Just look at it, uh, work through it. Open the Book of Job. I hope you read a little bit of Job, at least Job chapter one, to get ready. And so let's take a look at it. Uh, turn your Bibles to Job chapter one. And I want to begin by saying that, uh, telling you the story of an investment counselor who uh, started her own business. She was shrewd and diligent, and so the business kept growing. And soon she realized, you know, I I need in-house counsel. I I need my own lawyer. And so she began interviewing young prospects. And she said to the first applicant, she said, Look, I'm, I'm sure you can understand that in a business like this, our personal integrity must be beyond question. We have to be above reproach. So she leaned forward. And continued and said, Mr. Peterson, do you have integrity as a lawyer? Integrity, replied the job prospect. Let me tell you something about integrity. Why, I have so much integrity that my father lent me $15,000 for my education, and I paid back every penny the minute I tried my very first case. Impressive. What sort of case was that? The lawyer hesitated and then finally confessed, He sued me for the money. All right? So, okay. All right. right. There you go. It took a while, but you got it. He sued me for the money. Integrity always pays or does it? Integrity always pays or does it? Uh, That's the question that really the book of Job. We hear that it's about adversity. We hear it's about suffering. But actually, the book is about integrity. In other words, will God always reward integrity and honesty and godliness with good things and good times. In other words, does the Bible teach a prosperity gospel that says if you have blameless integrity, then God will always reward you with prosperity, health and wealth, a good job, a good spouse, and a good home filled with good things, and everyone will live happily ever after with good hair and good teeth. Right? Like the smiling preacher. Or, does the Bible teach a persevering gospel that says this, Integrity always pays, but in different ways that include prosperity and adversity. See, that's the real issue that the book of Job seeks to answer. Now, Job's three friends had a, a real quick answer to that, to that question. Prosperity gospel or persevering gospel, they said, look, integrity always pays with prosperity and little, if any, adversity. But Job, Job is going to learn through his adversity like God wants us to learn through our adversity. That integrity does always pay, but in different ways. Different ways. In ways that God knows, but He doesn't always reveal to us. He didn't reveal His ways to Job. In ways that will always pay, but not in ways that we always expect. And let's be honest, not always in ways that we want. Well, we're going to study Job verses 1 through 5. First five verses of Job. And we're going to discover that blameless integrity always pays, but in different ways. So let's look at it. Look at Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uts, okay? Uh, I decide i better figure out how to pronounce it, and that is how you pronounce it, okay? I may revert back to the uh, what I would say, you know, oh, that's how you do it. But anyway, it's boots without the B, oots, okay? It's just fun to say, oots, 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 okay? Whose name was Job, not Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen. That means 1,000 oxen. 500 female donkeys and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. It came about that when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, that Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, As we get into this lesson, I thought, uh, I I was telling Gwen this morning what the lesson was about. I said, I'm so thankful that you're my wife and that you have blameless integrity. And she said, what's that? And I thought, I'm glad I put this at the beginning of my lesson. And so, okay, so how does the Bible define blameless integrity? Okay, so this is what the book's about. This is what the lesson's about. So I just wanted to give you a a brief introduction so that I'm going to be using this word not only today, but throughout this book, and I want you to know what it is. So number one. How does the Bible define blameless integrity? Blameless integrity is living before God and others in a manner consistent with who God is and what He requires. That's as simple as I can get it. It's living the way God wants us to live all the time, even when people don't see us, because God sees us all the time. Consistent with who God is, that's blameless integrity. Now, what it is not, because as soon as we say blameless, in our minds we think what? Sinless, okay? So here's what it's not. Blameless integrity is not being perfectly sinless. It's not being sinless but constantly dealing with sin in a manner consistent with who God is and what He requires. So you see the idea? So I have integrity because when I sin, I quickly admit it because that's what God would want me to do. And, and then I quickly deal with it by asking Him to forgive and claiming His finished work and, and, and turning away from it and turning back to him. So it's not, blameless is not sinless. It's just dealing with sin the way God wants us to. And then number three, blameless integrity does not mean you're never accused of doing wrong. Poor Job had blameless integrity, and yet Satan accused him of doing wrong and having selfish motives. His dear friends accused him of all sorts of heinous sins, and he was still blameless. So it's not, It's not that you're never attacked or accused of doing wrong, but it does mean your integrity remains intact even when under attack. Intact even when under attack. So there's my broad, simple... That's what we're talking about, blameless integrity. But what I want you to see is four different ways that integrity always pays. Four different ways that integrity always pays. And here's the first way. And it's just right out of these first five verses. Blameless integrity is prized by God more than anything else. Integrity always pays because integrity is prized by God more than anything else. And let me show you how we get to see that in this passage. Very little is revealed about the circumstances surrounding Job's life. You look at these first five verses, and basically everything we know about Job's circumstances is in verse 1. Look at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. There you go. That's, his cer- that's everything. Here's this 42 chapters. Uh, the book is, is focused on him. It's named after him. And you know what all we get about his circumstances? His name and a general place where he lives. Okay. Now, let's look at his name just a little bit. There was a man whose name was Job. There's, there's two or three possible meanings here, and, and I don't want to go deep into that, just to give you the idea that some think his name means, where is my father? And boy, that's the cry of Job throughout his suffering. He's asking, where is God my father? Where is God in this? And in fact, the most precious thing to Job before his suffering was his friendship with God. And, and, and so when the suffering comes, he's like, whoa, where is where is God? Others think his name means persecuted one or hated one. And certainly uh, his friends thought, yeah, you, God hates you. You're the hated one, Job. Boy, boy your name's really good. It, it, it's, you're hated by God. And, and, and even Job thought, man, God's hating me. And, and yet when we see in the book, he was persecuted And he was hated, but it was by Satan, the adversary. Others think his name means repentant one, one who turns back. And this is because there's all these different backgrounds to names, and they look for all these different roots, and some think it means repentant one, and that's certainly what he does at the end of the book. But here's my point. There's really no clear explanation. So even though we know his name is Job, we don't even really know exactly what the name means. And then where he lives. We don't know the city. We don't know the name of the city. All we have is this weird word, "oots." you know, in the land of oots in the east. And here I've kind of drawn up here again. Here's the land at that time. This is where Israel is. But at that time it was Canaan because Israel, it was the time of the patriarchs. And uh, here's the Sea of Galilee. Down here's the Dead Sea. And Edom is right in this area. And basically he was from the east. Quote, and back then you would know that's east of the Jordan River. And it covered this entire area from north of the Sea of Galilee to south of the Dead Sea. And the land of Uts was a general broad area. something down near Edom, because some of his friends are Edomites. Or up here in a place called Aram. But well, that's all we know. We just don't know a lot about the circumstances. Not only that, there's nothing about his age, though we think he's in the prime of his life, 60, 70 years old, because he lived to at least 200, so prime would have been 60 and 70. We're not clear about the time period, though, again, in the previous lessons, we we realize it's probably the time of the patriarchs. We don't know anything of his parents. That's really odd. Usually it said Job, the son of. We don't know anything about his parents although we think he might be related to one of Abraham's nephews. We know nothing about his past life or how he came to personal faith in Yahweh. We know he's a true believer in the true God, but we don't know how that happened. Literally, all we have is a man, literally, if you, you translate verse 1, a man there was in Uts. And the opening of the book of Job sounds like, and Jordan, you're going to like this, Sounds like a Star Wars movie. A long time ago, in a place far, far away, there lived a man we can all identify with, and his name was Job. And that's basically what you get. Very little is revealed about his circumstances, but very much is revealed about the blameless integrity of Job's character. That's what we are, are focused on very much is revealed about the blameless integrity of Job's character. Look again at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was. That man was. Forget about his circumstances. Focus on his character. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, what is God trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell us? Well, I think God is saying this. Our focus in life should be not on our circumstances, but on our character. In other words, don't become obsessed with what's happening around you. Become obsessed with what is happening in you, what you are becoming. Instead of asking why are my circumstances not changing or improving? We should be asking, how, are, how is my character being shaped by my unchanging circumstances? How is my character being tested by my unchanging circumstances? You see, God is telling us that what's most important about Job is not his circumstance, but his character, his blameless integrity. And why is that? Because God prizes integrity. In fact, we probably need to say that together. Let's say it. God prizes integrity that is blameless, upright, God-fearing, and sin-rejecting. Let me read you a couple uh, good paraphrases of of, of his character. The uh, New Living Translation says, He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, He was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, the thing you see about his character is it's four-dimensional. There's four words, and it's repeated three times in this chapter. In fact, it's repeated here. It's mentioned first in chapter 1 by the narrator, and then two other times by God himself in the exact same way. Let's look at those. Look at uh, verse uh, Job chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Almost the exact same wording. And then turn over to Job chapter 2, verse 3. God again in heaven, interacting with the adversary Satan says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Now, I've tried to kind of draw for you a picture of what what these four characters, how they relate. Blameless and upright are the inner attitude, the inner character. And then out of that comes a God-fearing and sin-rejecting lifestyle. Let's break it down. What is blameless integrity? What is the integrity God prizes? What's it like? Well, let's look at each word so we can get a grasp. First of all, blameless. Integrity that is complete. Integrity that is complete and lacking nothing that God requires. Okay, just kind of go, whoa. Okay? Integrity that is complete lacking nothing that God requires. Look at uh, a person with integrity is whole, they're complete, they're un- in other words, his heart wasn't divided between what he wanted and what God wanted. He was wholehearted. He was all in when it came to whatever pleases God. Okay. Whatever pleases God, I don't care what it is, I'm all in. All the way undivided. Proverbs 11:3 says, "The integrity or I'm sorry, uh, Genesis 17, 1, Here's how the Lord put it to Abraham. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, blameless, again, is not sinless. In fact, Job's very first recorded act in this book is to offer up sacrifices for sin. And throughout the book, he admits that he's a sinner. So it's not, blameless is not sinless. Well, blameless implies that you are living above reproach according to a standard. What's the standard? That's the second word. Number two, upright. Integrity that conforms to God's standards of righteousness. So I'm blameless, but but according to what standard? Well, according to God's standards, he's upright. Uh, Look at Psalm 25, 21. Let integrity... And uprightness preserve me. That word integrity is the word for blameless. So let me be blameless according to God's standards. The word upright means straight, nothing crooked. You ever heard of someone called a straight shooter? He or she is a straight shooter. What you get, you know, what they say is what you get, and and, and they're real, they're straight. Listen to a couple verses, Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright will gr- will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Look at Pro- Listen to Proverbs 21, 8. The way of the guilty is crooked, but as for the pure, the blameless, his conduct is upright. So there's the idea. Blameless, according to what standards? Upright. Now, I really want you to grasp this stuff. I don't want this to be ab- abstract. So I, I, as I'm studying out upright, I came up with this little definition so that you can remember this. And here's here's what it comes down to. The upright seek to do right in God's sight without being uptight. Are you with me? Can you remember that? The upright seek to do right in God's sight without being uptight. Now, why do I say that? Because this word upright is used of David in 1 Kings in this way. Listen to this verse, 1 Kings 14.8. Here, regarding David, you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart, blameless. That's blameless. That's a definition of blameless. To do only that which is right in my sight. That's upright. Got it? But upright, when you say, oh, he, you know, God wants you to be upright. Some of us immediately think that means He wants me to be uptight. He wants me to be this rigid, you know, authority. Everything's got to be right and perfect. I don't want to be around an upright person. That sounds like they're uptight. But in reality, upright means up being upright calls for mercy, not meanness. It means being compassionate in relating to others. It means being honest in doing business. It means showing mercy to those in need. So I want you to get the idea, all right? Now, what motivates a person to be blameless and upright? That's the third word, God-fearing. God-fearing. It's the fear of God. What's that mean? Integrity that is committed to being in a soul-satisfying, God-pleasing relationship with God and others. That's what fearing... I mean, there's all sorts of ways to define the fear of God, but God-fearing integrity is committed to being in a soul satisfying. You want to know what motivated Job? It was the fear of God. How do we know this? Because when God says to Satan in chapter 1, check out Job, and he he says these four words, the one that Satan keys on is fear of God. He says, does he fear God for nothing? He starts with the motivation of the heart, the fear of God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Well, those who fear God fear Him more than anything else. They want to know Him more than anything else. They want to trust Him more than anything else. They want to love Him more than anything else. They want to praise Him more than anything else. They want to obey Him more than anything else. The person who fears God strives to please God on a daily basis with a faithful obedience, motivated by a fervent love. Listen, fearing God isn't that, oh, I'm so scared of him and I don't want to get near him for fear that I may offend him. Fearing God is, look, I love you so much, it scares me to let you down. Are you catching the idea here? Do you have somebody you really respect humanly? Somebody you really look up to? Someone you really respect? And when you kind of get in your, in their presence, you're a little nervous because you just you just respect them so much and you and, and, and you honor them so much, you just don't want to mess up around them, and and you just you're just kind of in awe of them and, and you just don't want to let them down. And if you do let them down, you're just brokenhearted. That's what the fear of God is about. The person who fears God Uh, puts God first in every area of their lives. Therefore, that's why they're blameless. That's why they're upright, because they, they fear Him in every area. Think about this. The person who fears God knows God is greater than all things, so God should be glorified in all things. God gave all things, therefore I should trust God in all things. When you really look at what Job says after his suffering... It's kind of a definition of the fear of God. What do you say? The Lord's given and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he said, should we just receive good things from God or should we also receive the bad things? Because, you see, I'm going to trust God no matter what because I fear him. Uh, one author put it this way, those who fear God set his will as their standard, his glory as their goal, and his approval as their highest reward. The fear of God. But the fear of God is not just an attitude. It's an action, both positive, drawing us near God, but also driving us away from sin. And that's the fourth word. Look at the fourth word. Sin rejecting. What does this mean? Integrity that is consecrated. It's consecrated to less sinning and more running after God. I like that. Sin rejecting. I am consecrated, I am set apart, I am dedicated to sinning less and and running to God more. So there's blameless integrity. Here's the bottom line. Job loved God, so he he loved what God loved, and he hated what God hated. Look at Proverbs 97.10. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Let me just pause here and throw in a little application in the sense of Today, there's a lot of talk about loving the Lord, but there's not a lot of talk about hate and evil. And you see, blameless integrity understands there must be both. And so if if you're you're listening to the teaching of someone that's all love, 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 and they're never talking about hate and sin, then you're not listening to someone with blameless integrity because they go hand in hand. See, you can't turn to God and not turn away from your sin. And you can't truly turn from your sin without turning to God Job 28 28 says it well and to man God said behold the fear of the Lord that is wisdom and to depart from evil is understanding all right that's blameless integrity now here's what I want you to see that the integrity that God prizes Is evaluated on earth and in heaven. I know I just gave you, I've given you a lot of abstract definitions, but they're biblical definitions. You say, Chris, I want something concrete. Well, we can't read through it, but let me direct your attention to Job 29 and Job 31. Read those two chapters, and Job. Gives his final defense of how he lived before his suffering came, and he just goes through all these concrete things. and And I just, I, I just I want to, let me read just a little bit of Job twenty nine. Okay, this is what blameless integrity looks like. I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me. In other words, when people were about to die, Job was there. And listen to this one. I made the widow's heart sing for joy. That's really cool. I made their hearts sing. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. In other words, if someone would say, look, I don't think this is right, I think I'm being done wrong, Job would say, let me check that out. Let me check that out. And then when he found that wickedness was going on, here's what he says in Job 29. I broke the jaws of the wicked and snatched the prey from his teeth. That's just good stuff. And he just goes on, Job 29, Job 31 and he just gives you what blameless integrity looks like on earth. But listen to how God evaluates it in heaven. Listen to how God evaluates it in heaven in Job 1.8. Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth. Whoa. Whoa. There's a whole planet of people. Not just in the east but on the entire planet in which Job lived and God looks at the hearts of every individual and says, Job has more integrity and fear of God than anybody on this planet. Wow. Our integrity is evaluated in heaven. And when it matches in heaven and on earth, then you've got blamelessness. All right? Now, One step further, Job prized in his children what God prizes in his children. So follow with me on this. Job prized in his own children what God prizes in his children. And what is that? Blameless integrity. Look again at verse 5. And I I just, I got to tell you the story. I got to show you what's going on here because it tells us what God really prizes. Now, here's what's going on. Job's the greatest man in the East. That means he, he's the richest and the godliest man according to earthly standards. So he has seven sons. And because he's rich, each son, each grown son, has their own house. Okay? The daughters, though, still live with their parents in that culture. And Job and his family were so prosperous, so blessed that his sons had regular parties to celebrate all that God had given them to enjoy. Now, we don't quite know how this happened. Either, literally, either they had a party every day of the week, seven sons, seven days of the week, and they would meet in each of their homes and invite their sisters to join in on them, and they would just celebrate, or, and this is probably more likely, it says they each held a feast on their day, meaning their birthday. So more than likely, on each son's birthday, from the oldest to the youngest, on their birthday, they would all gather, so seven times a year, rather than seven times a week. But either way, the point is, there's a lot of partying going on in the Job family. Why? Because God's richly blessed them, and they are enjoying this. Now, Job didn't live for that kind of partying he didn't live for prosperity but for integrity he didn't fear God for what he could get from God but for who God was so here's what he did in verse 5 that at the end of each of uh, 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 when the seven parties had been completed whether at the end of the week or at the end of the year if it was seven times a year what he would do is he would send for all of his children to come to his home And he would set them apart and give them back to God because he knows that not only are are my possessions from God, but even my kids are gifts from God. And so he gives them back to God. And then he says this, he rises up early in the morning because this was a priority for him. And he would offer a whole burnt sacrifice for each child because here's what he feared. That perhaps in all their parting, that in their heart, they might have cursed God. And so he would offer a whole burnt offering for sin that may have happened. Let me give you seven observations of what the story I've just told you in what, verse 5, so you can get the idea. First of all, Job's concerned about sin, showing that being blameless is not being sinless. Second, Job's concerned about sin of others. Job just doesn't want to be a pious, uh, self-righteous individual. He wants others to have the relationship with God that he does. Third, Job's concerned about potential sin, not even actual sin. Are you getting this? You know, most of us ignore actual sin in our lives. He's like, hey, I'm concerned about perhaps they did this. I don't know. I don't know. But I just want to be right with God, and I want them to be right with God. He's concerned about heart sin, not acts of sin. He's concerned about the heart. He's concerned about the very sin that Satan will try to commit him to commit. God strikes us not always at our weakest, but sometimes at our strengths, because that's where we take pride. Six, Job's concerned about being forgiven based on, On God's promises of a coming sacrifice for sin, he's putting his hope for forgiveness in what God will yet do. That's why he offers the whole burnt sacrifices. Everything offered up to God. Because only God could come down and ultimately forgive their sin. And then finally, Job is concerned about seeking God's forgiveness and being blameless as a continual way of life. Look at the end of verse 5. Thus Job did continually. Wow. Now, notice what it says in your notes. Blameless integrity was Job's way of life on a daily basis. You see, Job knew that blameless integrity pays because God prizes it more than anything in heaven and more than everything on earth. And because God prized it, Job prized it, and he prized it in his children. And he wanted others to experience it. Because integrity pays. Because God prizes it. But not only that, number two, blameless integrity often promotes prosperity. Blameless integrity often promotes prosperity. Now, there's a key word in that principle that I just read. And the word I want you to circle is often. Circle the word often. I did not say always I said often. Why is that? Because God loves to prosper those who prize what he prizes. Are you get are you are you seeing the idea? God prizes integrity. Joe prizes integrity, and because Joe prizes what God prizes, God says I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. Because I love to bless what I want to see happen in your life. You see, God loves to bless what he's seeking to establish, but not like a slot machine. See, Job's friends thought it worked like this. You put integrity in the slot machine, and you pull the handle, and out comes prosperity every time. But that's not how God prospers us. But he does want to prosper our integrity. L- listen to 1 Timothy 4.8. You probably know this verse. Godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds a promise for the present life, God will bless you for being godly now and for the future life, the life to come. There's all sorts of verses that support this idea. Listen to Psalm 128. 1, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Listen to this one, Proverbs 3.16. Long life is in wisdom's right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. God loves to prosper those who prize what he prizes. But, And that's what he did for Job. That's what he did for Job. Look at the next point. Job's integrity was greater than anyone on earth, and his prosperity was greater than anyone in the east. So here's a guy whose integrity is greater than the whole planet, And his prosperity is greater than anyone living in this area. Why? Because God loves to prosper and promote prosperity for those with integrity. Now, I won't go through all the description, but you have it there in verse 3. It doesn't do much for us. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 7 sons. See, in our culture, 7 sons and 3 daughters, oh my gosh, a, a financial burden. But actually, it's a blessing. It's it's, it's like seven sons. That was the ideal. Three daughters. That was awesome. Seven and three together, ten. That man is rich and blessed of God. And then look at his flocks and you go down. Basically, he's. I I looked it up. The richest man in America is who? Bill Gates. Bill Gates, he's the Bill Gates of the patriarchal period. He's the Bill Gates. Richest man in America. In the East. Let me sum up all that's in verse 2 and 3 in this way Job was healthy, wealthy, and wise. In fact, he was the healthiest, wealthiest, wisest person on the planet at his time. Why? Because blameless integrity often promotes prosperity, and God loves to prosper what he prizes. But that's not the whole story. Principle number three. Blameless integrity does not prevent adversity. Blameless integrity does not prevent adversity, but it does prepare us for it. So you get it? He It doesn't prevent adversity, but it does prepare it. Now, here's how it works. The prosperity gospel of Job's friends work this way. Job, the reason you lost all your prosperity, because all these riches, he went from being Bill Gates to being whoever it is the poorest person on the planet. He lost it all. And, and his friend said, the reason you lost it all and you're now facing adversity, the reason you're suffering the loss of your health and wealth is because you lost your integrity due to some sin, some hidden sin in your heart that you, you're hiding and you just won't come clean. Come on, Job, repent and come clean, because there's no way... You would suffer adversity if you had integrity. And yet, what what do we know from God's angle twice? What did God say? No, this guy's got more integrity than anybody on the planet. And he's suffering more adversity than perhaps anyone on the planet. But see, the persevering gospel says this. The persevering gospel of God says, the reason you're suffering adversity is because you have blameless integrity. Whoa, wait a minute. Job's friend said, you have bad times because you have done bad things. And the truth of the matter of the story is, you're suffering bad things because you've done everything right, Job. Now, when you suffer, if you're like me, when you encounter deep personal suffering, the first thing you think, What have I done? And then you start reviewing your past. And if you know how God works, you go back into decades and you're like, I knew I was going to pay for that. And you start wondering, what did I do wrong? And then you start telling God you'll do everything right if he'll just change your circumstance. Right? But in reality, sometimes we need to be saying, you know what? I'm suffering this. Because I've been doing things right. Because I've been doing things right. You see, blameless integrity does not always prevent adversity. In fact, sometimes it brings it on. Second um, Timothy 3.12, not only is godliness profitable, but listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Here's the fact of the matter. Sometimes the tallest tree in the forest attracts the most lightning. OK, sometimes the tallest building, let me tell you, Job was the tallest man of integrity on the planet. And, and Satan attacked because not that he was doing something wrong, but because he was doing it right. Think about Joseph. Why did Joseph suffer adversity? Because he had integrity. Why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Because he had integrity. Why did Jesus why was he put on the cross? Because he had integrity. Job was the tallest tree in the forest. We shouldn't be surprised that integrity, far from preventing adversity, enter, uh, entering his life, actually attracted it like lightning to the tallest tree. But integrity does prepare you for it. And, and, and we're going we're gonna to draw this out, but I want you to see that Adversity is like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. Whatever's inside is going to come out. All right? And so, what happened is, when Job goes through adversity, the thing that comes out of his mouth is, the Lord's given, the Lord's taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he lived with integrity in prosperity, therefore, he lived with it in adversity. It prepared him for it. You know, sometimes we think, well, when bad times come, then I'll figure out how to live for God. You got to live for God in the good times before you're going to ever live for Him in the bad times. Because every morning I squeeze that toothpaste and I expect clean, white, flavorful toothpaste to come out. If something else comes out, then I know the tube's integrity has been compromised. Or my daughter's playing a trick on me. I don't know, either one. But the bottom line is... What's inside is going to come out. Character is not made in a crisis. It's exhibited in a crisis. So here, I want to give you a great promise. If you're going through undeserved or, or you're going through severe adversity, I want to give you Psalm 41, 12 this morning. And here's what the psalmist says. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and you set me in your presence forever. Man, that's a that's a memory verse, folks. Because that's what happened to Job. God upheld him in his integrity in his adversity and Job, God ultimately brought Job into God's presence. Wow. Now that leads me to the application. Blameless integrity should be pursued in both prosperity and adversity. Now, my intention is not to teach those 10 points. That's not the point. The point was, I'm sitting this week trying to study, and I'm like, I'm looking at five verses, and I'm overwhelmed by what we can learn about integrity in these five verses. So I just went, sat down, got a yellow legal pad, and I said, God, what are all the principles in this passage about integrity? And I came up with 10 of them. And they're there not for, basically, I've taught those principles to you in going through the story. What I want to leave you with are ten principles for you to pursue. Whether, if, are you in a hard time right now? Then you pursue these ten things. Focus on them, not your circumstances. Is everything going great and you couldn't have a better life? You know, you you, you don't believe this, but you've got your best life now, you know. Yeah, a little, little prosperity joke a few more of those along the way but you're so things are going so good well you know what god says enjoy those good times they they partied okay they enjoy those good times but be like job that in the prosperity he wasn't worshipping the good things he was worshipping the good god and he was focused on those 10 principles all right this is good stuff isn't it and this is just the first five. Listen, integrity always pays, but you can't leave it at that. That's what the Job friend, Job's friend said. Look, integrity always pays. Therefore, if you're in adversity, repent, you filthy sinner, and God will bless you. That's what the prosperity preachers say. Look, if you're poor, it's because you're not doing things right. If you'll do them right, God's blessings will flow. Integrity always pays but in different ways. In some ways, is through adversity. In some ways, are through prosperity. So wherever you are right now, understand integrity, blameless integrity will pay, so pursue it. And then when adversity comes, what God has built on the inside will come out, and God will be glorified. And you will know him better. For he will uphold you in your integrity and bring you into his presence. That's Let's pray. Father in heaven, have mercy on us. For our integrity gap is often bigger than what it ought to be. We fall short of what we believe and what we know you are. And therefore we come and we need your forgiveness. We need the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our stead. We need His sacrifice for our sin so that we can be right with You. But Lord, in giving us forgiveness, You give us Your Holy Spirit that we might live with integrity. We can be blameless, though not sinless. We can be upright without being uptight. We can fear You and therefore reject sin in our lives. And Father, we can do that and should do that in the good times and the bad times. But Lord, overall, you bless integrity. And and may we take advantage of those blessings and turn them back in praise. And may we use them as an opportunity to develop greater integrity, greater closeness, so that when adversity comes, and it will come, it's not prevented. None of us are, are excused. There's no asterisk by our lives. Avoid all adversity for this individual. And when it comes and we're squeezed, may what come out, may what comes out of our mouths and our heart and our lives be what you put in there. Because it's a work of your grace. For your glory, for our good. We need sustaining grace in this room. There's some that are hurting. there's some that are struggling. And Lord, we need to extend grace to one another. We need you to pour out your grace. And you may seem distant and absent, and maybe we feel like we're the hated one, we're the persecuted one, but Lord, through it all, your presence is with us. And adversity doesn't mean that you're against us. In fact, it can mean we're doing everything right and you have confidence. Change our heart, change our mind. Renew us with the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.